Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here this morning. If this is your first time here, if you're new to the church, my name is Doug, and I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we are thrilled that you're with us this morning. Today, we began a whole new series of sermons that will lead us up through Christmas, entitled The Mystery of Christmas and Advent Series. And so for the first time since I've been here, over the next four weeks, we're going to be working to the idea of Advent. And you probably may have been in a church before where Advent was something that celebrated. Maybe this is new to you, but the word Advent just literally means the arrival or the coming. And so as Christmas comes around, we celebrate the first Advent, right? The first coming of the Messiah, the one that baby Jesus was born in a manger, and we celebrate the first Advent. But as believers, we also are looking forward to the what? The second Advent that one day he will split the skies and Jesus will come again. And we look forward to the second Advent. And now when you think about Advent, there's some traditions that surround the idea of Advent. And one of those is the, the evergreen wreath. And the evergreen wreath really represents the eternal life that we have in Christ. And then in the Advent wreath, you also see five different candles. And each candle represents something different that we all are searching for and need. Now, the first candle we're going to get to in a minute was the one lit a while ago, but the one in the middle is different because the one in the middle is the Christ candle. And I'm going to steal the thunder today of what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks, and it's this. Everything we find ourselves searching for, we can only find it in one place. And that is the person and the work of Jesus himself. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? It's in him. And today, the first candle that was lit uh, by the Schwartz family that we're going to talk about is the candle of hope. Now, when you think about hope, I guess one thing as I was preparing and praying and thinking about today, I, I thought, you know, for many of us, hope is like, the, like many words we use in the Christian, uh, the Christian lingo. It's a word that we've kind of robbed. It's a word that we've misunderstood. It's a word that we have misused. And quite frankly, maybe it's a word that we've kind of diminished the value of it. And here's what I mean. For many of us, hope is nothing more than wishful thinking. Are you with me on that one? Like, for example, for many of you, when you proposed to your spouse, you thought something like this, I hope she says yes, right? Right? Anybody ever get turned? No? No, just keep that to yourself. No. So you hope there's this wishful thinking, or you're like, I hope I get that promotion. I hope my marriage works out. I mean, there's this sense and hope in the world we live in today that hope is nothing more than wishful Thinking, and I just want to say this to you this morning, that is not biblical hope. And I want us to define what biblical hope is and let it carry us to the rest of the message. So if it won't be on the screen, you might want to write this down. Here is a, the definition of biblical hope. Biblical hope is the expectation and the certainty that God will deliver on his word. That's biblical hope. Are you with me on that? Biblical hope is the, an, an expectation and a certainty that God will always deliver on his word. Let me put it more simply. It's being convinced and certain that God will keep all of his promises. That's biblical hope, okay? It's not wishful thinking. That's biblical hope. Now, for many of us, we, we, we see this kind of biblical hope even in Scripture. In fact, probably one example would be the story of Simeon in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, where Simeon is waiting the arrival of the coming Messiah. He's waiting for the consecration of Israel. He's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And the Lord has promised him that he was not going to die until that moment when he got to see the coming Messiah actually show up on the scene. He made him that promise. 
But yet Simeon, if you look in Luke chapter 2, what you see is a guy there, a guy that was waiting, a guy that was longing for the coming Messiah. And it says there in Luke chapter 2 that once he got him, he swept him up, he gave thanks to the Lord, and basically said this, I'm ready to go. See, Simeon had biblical hope. He had an expectation and a certainty that God was going to make good on his word, and he was convinced of that. We see that in, in the Old Testament as well, too, in different places. Unfortunately, when you think about so many of the religious leaders in the New Testament, many of those people probably had wishful thinking kind of hope because for many of them, they missed the coming Messiah, right? For many of them, they missed that Jesus was from God, but not Simeon. Simeon grabbed this newborn, and he said, I know that he is the one who's come to reconcile all things back to God. Simeon had that kind of hope. And quite frankly, can I say this? We're supposed to have that kind of hope too, aren't we? You and I are supposed to carry a biblical hope about us, a certainty and an expectation that God is going to keep his word. Now, what do you think I'm talking about? I'm talking about that one day Jesus is going to come again. Do you believe that this morning? In fact, 21 different times, Jesus himself talked about his return. In fact, the Bible talks more about the second coming of Christ than it ever did the first coming of Christ. And so as believers, we need to have this biblical hope going, you know what? I have this expectation and I have this certainty that one day God is going to make good on his word. And that's what biblical hope is. Now, the thing about biblical hope that I want you to understand this morning is this, that there are really two key elements to biblical hope. Here's the first one. The first one is anticipation. See, if we have a certainty and an expectation that God is going to keep his word, that means that we're anticipating when it's going to come true, right? We anticipate when it's going to happen. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are days that we go through this world, we're like, come Lord Jesus, come, right? I mean, we're like, we're just ready right now. But there's this anticipation that one day these clouds are going to split and Jesus is going to come and he's going to call his church home. We long for that day and we anticipate it. But hear me on this. There's another element to waiting that we need to think about. All right, another element that we need to think about when it comes to biblical hope, it's not only anticipation. The second element is waiting. Waiting. How many of you like to Wait. Nobody like to wait? How do you like waiting in the doctor's office? Like waiting in the fast food line? Most of us don't like to wait, do we? How many of you would be honest enough to say, hey, Doug, I'm pretty impatient, in fact? Anybody? Okay, and the rest are liars. Okay, so all, most of us are impatient, right? But when you think about this, when you think about biblical hope, this certainty and this expectation that God is going to keep his word, part of that biblical hope is, yes, an anticipation of when's it going to happen, but there's also a big dose of waiting. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God made a promise in the, just in the garden that there was going to be one that was going to come that was going to strike his heel and crush the head of the serpent. God had already in Genesis chapter 3 began prophesying of the coming of Jesus, and it was a thousands and thousands and thousands of years later till a baby was born in Bethlehem. Waiting. See, when you think about waiting, most of us don't like waiting. But here's the truth of the matter. The Christmas story revolves around this idea of waiting. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to talk about waiting in hope. How can we wait in such a way that we maintain an expectation and a certainty that God is going to keep his word? And the story I want us to look at today is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1 is where I'm going to be this morning. It's a lengthy passage, so you don't have to stand this morning. We're going to kind of take it off in chunks. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 is where we're going to begin reading. And in these verses, we're going to find several different things 
about what waiting means for us as we wait in hope. Chapter uh, 1, verse 5 says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, before we get into the whole waiting part, I want to get a little background to who these people were. So Zechariah is from the order, the priestly order of Abijah. Abijah, you may not know that name. Abijah was a priest during the time of King David. King David did a massive renovation of the priesthood when he was king back in the Old Testament. And one of those orders was Abijah's order. And so Zechariah comes from the lineage of Abijah, a priest of God. And that means Zechariah too is a priest of God. But then we find out that Elizabeth is a descendant of the first high priest of Israel, Aaron. So Aaron had four sons, and she's a descendant of Aaron. So these people, if you want to talk about being connected, they were connected, right? They were connected to the worship, to the temple, to the priestly uh, hierarchy. They were connected in any way imaginable. But here's what the Bible says most importantly about Zechariah and Elizabeth when it says they were both righteous before God. Putting their priesthood aside, putting their lineage aside, they were both righteous before God. You know what that means? It means they lived by faith. They were people who honored God, they had faith in God, and they obeyed God. They were righteous before God because how they lived, loved, and obeyed the Lord. But the scripture says this, but they were not able to have children because Elizabeth was barren. Now you may, in the world we live in today, you know, there's a lot of people that can't have kids, and we get that and we understand that. But in this day and time, that was a really, really big deal. So for the priest to continue his name and to continue the lineage of that order, you had to have a son. And I'm sure one of the prayers that Zechariah had prayed over and over and over again was that, God, would you give me a son? God, would you give me a son? So the order of this priesthood, the line of this priesthood could continue on and there would be someone to carry on my name. But he had no son. And the scripture is very clear. And they were very elderly. Well, Doug, how old is that? I don't know. They were old, basically. They were just old. And so what we find out about these two people is they were connected to the Lord. One was a priest. One had a heritage of being connected to the priest. And they were both righteous before God. They both desperately wanted a child. But Elizabeth was barren before the Lord, which means this, that the priestly order with Abijah would have stopped with him, with, with Zechariah, and the name would no longer have continued. And it's in that moment in the story we pick up on this idea of waiting. Look with me in verse 8. Look what it says. Now, while he was serving, talking about Zechariah, as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot, we'll come back to that, to enter the temple of the Lord, chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside of the hour of incense, and they appeared to him, the angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And he fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now listen, when we think about waiting, here's the first thing I think we need to understand about waiting. And it's this. Waiting is part of the Christian life. That stinks, doesn't it? Come on. Doesn't that stink? Waiting is part of the Christian life. See, Zechariah found himself in a place 
of waiting, wasn't he? I mean, he obviously prayed this prayer for a son many, many, probably for decades, much like Moses had prayed, much like Jeremiah had prayed, not for a son, but for God to show up. I mean, when you look through Scripture over and over and over again, you see this notion of people that are pursuing God, and they find themselves over and over again in a season of waiting, and that's where Zechariah was. But I want you to notice a couple of things about Zechariah. In this season of waiting, did you pick up there in verse 8 that he continued to serve as a priest? Did you pick up on that? Now, he was from the, 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 the line, the order of Abijah. And basically, in that order, what they would do is there were so many priests. I mean, some, some estimate that in Israel at the time of Jesus, there might have been as many as 20,000 different priests. Not high priests, but local priests. And so for you as a priest to get to serve in the temple was a really big privilege thing to do. And not every priest got to do that. Uh, some priests had to be out into local synagogues. They had to be into other areas. But not every priest got the opportunity to serve in the temple that we read about in the New Testament. But Abijah was in, a, but Abijah's order, Zechariah, they had this thing called lot casting. And what they would do is they would cast lots, decide who was going to get the privilege of going into the temple and to burn incense before God. And what they would do is they would cast three lots. In other words, I guess the best way to put it would be they put everybody's name in a hat and they drew out three names, okay? And so the first name and the second name were two priests that were responsible for the preparation of the altar of incense. They, they brought everything in, they got it prepared, they set it up. But if you were the third name called, that was the highest honor. That meant you got to be the priest that oversaw the burning of the incense. And as the incense was burning up to God, you would pray over the nation of Israel. And you'd pray prayers on behalf of the nation of Israel. Listen, this was such a special honor. There was only one honor any more highly viewed than this one. And that's if you were the high priest who one day a year got to go into the Holy of Holies and to sacrifice on behalf of Israel. So if you weren't the high priest, you were never going to get to do that. So the next highest possibility of a priest was this. Because this, ark of incense, this, this, this altar of incense was right outside the Holy of Holies. There was a table of showbread on the right. And there was the, 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 the seven golden lampstands on the left. And in this altar, they would prepare it. And then he would go in. The other two priests would leave. And then the one that had this privilege to do this would go in. He would burn the incense and then he would pray. That's what Zechariah got to do. Zachariah got that privilege. I mean, this was a once-in-a-lifetime moment, probably a moment he would never get this opportunity again, and yet Zechariah is in there doing his priestly duties, doing the most privileged thing he was able to do in the moment and in the season of waiting. But you know what else he did? Did you notice what the angel said to him? He said, do not be afraid, right? Don't be afraid. He said, fear not. He was troubled. He said, don't be afraid. He said, the angel said, uh, because your prayers have been what? Your prayers have been what? Heard. So now some of you would say, you know, well, that's natural. If he's at the altar of incense, wouldn't he be praying? Yes, but he would be praying prayers, plural. He would have been, pray, been praying on behalf of Israel. There's no telling all the different things that Zechariah would have been praying for, but the angel specific in the Greek language, it's not a plurality of prayers. It's a singular prayer, meaning I have heard your prayer. What prayer do you think he's talking about? The prayer to have a son, right? Now think about this. Here's a guy who's older, who's been praying that his lineage could continue, that his name would continue on, and there's no baby. That, I mean, Elizabeth is barren. There's no child there. But this guy, listen, this guy is still doing what God has called him to do. 
And that's the one thing I love about Zechariah that I hope we kind of get on board with a little bit. It's this, is that even in the moments that we find ourselves in a season of waiting, that doesn't mean we curl up in the corner and get angry with God. That doesn't mean we curl up in the corner and begin to question God. That means we still continue to do what God has called us to do even while we wait. See, most of us, when we wait, we want to complain, right? When we wait... We want to get angry. I mean, if you've waited in the line at McDonald's, you know what I'm talking about, right? We wait, and we get angry. We wait, and we complain. But Zechariah waited, but yet he was steadfast. Zechariah still continued his priestly duties. And listen to this. He also continued to do what? To pray. Pray. See, Zechariah understood something that I'm not sure we understand. And that's that with God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe that this morning? Now, our propensities go, yeah, amen. But do we really believe that? Do we really, at the very core of who we are, when we are faced with the most impossible, unlikely situation, do we know that if God so chooses, that with God, he's still able? Zechariah got this. Zechariah, in the face of all that was going on, continued to stay steadfast. In other words, he was waiting in hope. He was waiting with an expectation and a certainty that God was in control, and that God was at work. And Zechariah never lost hope. He never lost that. He was always waiting in that hope, going, okay, God, despite whether I have a child or not, I know that you are at work. I know that you are in control. I know that you are carrying out your plans for my life even right now, even in this season of waiting. Now, I want you to hear me on this. When you go to Scripture and you look at Scripture, waiting was so much a part of what we see in Scripture. Do you know how long Moses and his family waited on the ark before the waters rescinded and before they could get off the ark? Forty years. Do you know how long that the Israel had to wait when they rebelled against God, wandering in the wilderness before they could receive the promised land? How long did they have to wait? Come on. How long? Forty years. Even the disciples, when Jesus died, how long did they wait before they saw him again? Three days. Like, that's not that long. Well, if the one you followed and you lived with and you knew like you knew the back of your hand had died three days, it would seem like an eternity, wouldn't it? Waiting has always been part of the plan. And here's my point. Maybe this morning you find yourself in a season of waiting. If you're a Christian, first and foremost, we're waiting for Jesus to come again, and it can't happen too soon. Amen? And we, some of us are waiting for that moment when we leave this world and we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. We, we're waiting for that. But some of you are in a different kind of season of waiting. Maybe for some of you, you're in a season of waiting where you're waiting for your marriage to be restored. Maybe some of you are waiting for your finances to rebound and to where you can honor God with those again. Maybe for some of you, you're just in a season of waiting for that prodigal child or that prodigal spouse to come back. You're in that season of waiting. And here's what I want to say to you. In the middle of your waiting... Don't lose hope. Don't lose an expectation and a certainty that God's at work, that God's on his throne, that he's in control, and listen to this, he's got a plan. But also don't lose this reality. He hears your prayer. He knows your heart. In fact, he knows your heart better than you know your heart. So when we think about waiting, we need to realize that waiting is part of the Christian life. But as we wait, we need to know this, God is at work. Amen? And the second thing I want you to notice is found in verse 13. It says this, the very next part of it. He says, uh, he says that your prayers have been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. Paul's right there. Would you have had a heart attack if you were Zachariah right then? I mean, you've been praying, right? 
you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying and you forgot how long you've been praying, but you've been praying. At the end of the day, now all of a sudden, an angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, by the way, you're going to have a baby. Now, for me, as I read the story, I'd either had a heart attack or there would have been this great celebration in my heart. But look what Zechariah does. It's interesting. He says this, and he says, you shall call his name John. And you, you will have the joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even his, in his mother's womb. And when he will turn of the many of children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord as people are prepared. In other words, listen, hey, just because God delays doesn't mean God denies. And I want you to hear that this morning. Just Secondly, just in the idea of waiting, just because God is delaying the answer doesn't mean God is denying it. Now, let's just be real honest here for a moment. Do you get everything you pray for? No, and we shouldn't get everything we pray for. In fact, let me just say this. When you pray for something, I think there's really one of three possibilities. Either the answer is going to be yes, the answer is going to be what? No. no, or the answer could be not yet, right? Not yet, or not now, right? Those are the answers we're going to get. So we don't, that's, but in this case, whether he got a son or not, at the end of the day, we need to realize that delay doesn't always mean denial. He said, listen, you've been praying, praying, praying. The angel said, listen, by the way, you're going to have a baby. And you're not just going to have any baby, Zechariah. You're going to have a baby that is going to go and speak with the power of Elijah, which would have been a lot to a Jew that day. I mean, he was like one of the greatest uh, prophets of the Old Testament. He's going to speak with the power of Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to God. I mean, he's going to have a voice like nobody else has had before. And not only that, but he's going to be the kind of baby that when he comes on the scene, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the first times we see that in all the Bible, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, he's going to be the one that's going to come along, and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Hey, Zechariah, you're not just having any baby. You're having the baby that sets the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. Now, what I want us to understand is what I believe Zechariah learned in that moment is something that I want us to learn. That while we are waiting, God is orchestrating. Are you with me on that? That while we're in a season of waiting, God is orchestrating. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And even while we're waiting, God is moving all the pieces of the puzzle. In fact, if you were to go and you were to tra trace back in the Old Testament, we know there was 400 years period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We know there's 400 years. But if you go back and look at that historical time, that 400 years, you could even see, even though we don't have it in Scripture, you could see how God was orchestrating the world around him to prepare the moment for Jesus to come onto the scene. While we're waiting, God is always orchestrating. He's always at work. Why? Because he has a plan. Now, does his plan always line up with ours? No, it doesn't. But he has one, and he's orchestrating that plan. And so we too, like Zechariah, need to realize that delay, when we pray, doesn't mean denial. Delay doesn't mean God's not listening. Delay just simply means this, that while we're waiting, God is orchestrating. While we're waiting, God is carrying out his plan for our life to work through us. And Zechariah learned that. So delay doesn't always mean denial. And then here's the last thing I want you to notice. It's found in verse 18 through 23. Here's Zechariah's response to this, what should be amazing news. 
And Zechariah said to the angel, pause, what would you say to the angel? Sweet, right? Wouldn't you say something like that? Wouldn't you, well, come on, would you be excited about this? Come on, come on, come on, wake up this morning. Would you be excited about this? Yeah, you'd be excited. You'd be like, woohoo, I've been praying and praying. But listen to what Zechariah says. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. He was smart enough to call his wife an old woman, but his wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you. In other words, hey, listen, he's like, hey, I need some more evidence, uh, Gabriel. And Gabriel was like, look, bro, I am Gabriel. I am standing, I've stood in the very presence of Almighty God, and he has sent me to tell you this. What other evidence do you need? And he goes on, look what it says here. And it says this in verse uh, 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, standing in the very presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and able to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words which would be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, because remember, he's in the temple, and they were wondering at this delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making the sign to them and remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now, here's the third thing I want us to notice. That, first of all, waiting is part of the Christian life. That delay doesn't mean denial. But here's the third thing I want you to notice is that while we wait, we must remain faithful. That while we wait, we have to stay faithful. Come on, we all know this, that when we're in a season of waiting, don't we begin to question God? Don't we begin to consider, does God really love me, care about me? Does God even mindful of me? Don't we begin to walk that journey? I'm saying one thing we learned from Zacharias that if when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, we need to remain faithful. Do you think Zechariah was frustrated that he had prayed all these years and nothing had happened? Yeah, but what we know is even in his frustration, he still maintained his priestly duties. He still continued to pray. But in this moment, what we see for the first time is that Zechariah lets doubt creep its little way in, doesn't he? He lets doubt. Look at verse 18 again. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, how shall I know this? In other words, I need more evidence. I hear what you're saying, Gabriel. But I've been praying for a long time. And you may have not noticed this, but I'm pretty stinking old. And my wife is pretty advanced in years. She's well beyond childbearing years. And, you know, probably our patience isn't that good. I mean, are you sure you got the right guy? I need more evidence. And Gabriel's like, listen, I've come from the throne of God. I think that's pretty good evidence, right? I've come from God Almighty who sent me to tell you this. I think that's pretty good. But what he was looking for was evidence. Now, some of you may say, well, didn't Mary do the same thing? No, Mary didn't do the same thing. Mary wasn't asking for evidence. Mary was asking for explanation. She was like, how can this be? In other words, listen, I'm a virgin. I'm young. I know how this works, and that seems like an impossibility. Mary was just asking for explanation. He's asking for evidence. And so for the first time in the story, what we see creep in is this idea of doubt. Listen to me. For the first moment, Zechariah allowed doubt to trump certainty. See, do you think he believed that God was at work whether he had a child or not? Sure he did. Do you think he knew that God had a plan whether he ever had a child or not? Sure he did. But when the moment came that God said, listen, now am I going to bless you, but I'm going to give you a child. Not because it was your plan, Zechariah, because it was my plan. And my plan was to send someone who's going to prepare the way for my son, and I'm going to give you that child. And in that moment, he should have celebrated this certainty and this expectation that he had developed over years. But instead, 
He let doubt creep in. And for the first time, doubt trumped certainty. Just a quick question for us. When we find ourselves in a season of waiting, how do we respond? Do we respond out of faith? Trusting that God had a plan? Trusting that God's in control? Even if what he gives us looks totally different than what we asked for, that we know that God has a plan, God's in control, and God's way is always the best way, that his timing is always what? Perfect? Or do we respond in doubt? Like, are you sure about that, God? I I, I might need some more evidence to that. See, when we come to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, what we see is that we need to be the kind of people that are willing to wait in hope. We need to wait with an expectation and a certainty that God is always going to make good on his word. And as we wait, listen, as we wait, church, we need to be reminded God is in control. God is at work. God is orchestrating. And his plans are always right and always perfect. And we just need to commit to be faithful in those moments. So let me ask you this one more time. You find yourself in a season of waiting this morning. And what are you waiting on? Have you been praying? What have you been praying for? Been praying for for the prodigal to come home? You've been praying for your finances to get worked out? You've been praying for your marriage to come back together? What have you been praying for? And whatever you're praying for, whatever, you're, whatever season of waiting you find yourself in right now, my question is, how are you responding in that season of waiting? Are you responding with hope that says, I know and I'm certain and I'm expecting that God is in control, that God has a plan, and that God is at work? Or do I respond in doubt going, I'm just going to live in uncertainty? I need you to ask yourself that this morning. See, the, the first advent was all about hope. The coming of the Messiah was all about hope being fulfilled. This long-waited anticipation, expectation, certainty that the Messiah was going to come. In that moment, a baby in the manger, hope was fulfilled. So what are you waiting on this morning? What are you waiting on? And are you going to wait in hope? Or are you going to wait in doubt, confusion, chaos? What are you waiting on this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ. I'm going to encourage you this. Would you wait in hope this morning? Would you wait for the Lord? Because here's what I know about Doug, and I know it's probably true about you. For many of you, you're waiting on something. You've been praying about something, but at the end of the day, you've been trying to handle it yourself, right? You've been trying to figure it out yourself. You've been trying to come up with the loophole or the plan B. You've been trying to navigate this thing yourself. And what you need to say, Lord, I need to wait in hope this morning. I need to wait in the expectation of certainly knowing that you're in control, that you've got this, your plans are right, your timing is perfect, and I'm handing it over to you. Some of us don't like to do that, do we? Anybody like control in the room? I could probably ask your spouse the same question and more hands would go up, right? We all do. But can I say this? If we're going to live in hope and wait in hope for some of us today, this morning, maybe at this altar, maybe on the sides when we're praying with someone, we need to relinquish that control of our life and say, Lord, my hope is in you. My hope, I'm willing to wait in hope. Wait with the expectation and certainly knowing that you're in control and that you're working. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ. Listen, if you've never put your faith in Christ, Jesus is your only hope. 
the only way you will ever spend eternity with him forever. The only way you can know that you can have salvation is by putting your faith in Christ. And maybe this morning you just need to trust him for the first time in your life. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe you came as a baby in a manger to die on a cross so that my sins might be forgiven. Today, I surrender my life to you. If you will pray that, he will not change your life, but he'll change your eternity too. So today, would we wait in hope? I'm going to ask you right now. Everybody stand up with me. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to ask some of our folks who are prepared for this, if they'd go ahead and make their way to the sides of the curtains there and kind of pull those things back. Maybe this morning you just need to go to someone. You've got some things that are burning you, burning you down. And you need to go to somebody this morning and say, Lord, I, say, I just need you to pray for me. I need the Lord to do work in my life. Would you pray for me? Because I'm in a season of waiting, and I'm frustrated. I'm in a season of waiting, and I'm kind of doubting. I'm in a season of waiting, and I'm kind of struggling. See, because of Zachariah's doubt, he wasn't able to speak to the baby he was born. That's a pretty tough thing when he's the priest and gets to speak all the time, right? And maybe you're suffering some consequences in your own life because you let doubt creep its way in. And so maybe this morning, for those of us who are believers, we just need to acknowledge, what, if, are we in a season of waiting? And if we are, are we going to wait in hope or are we going to wait in doubt? And if you need somebody to pray with you, there's people the sides that would love to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to come to this altar and get on your knees before a holy God and just cry out to him and say, Lord, I'm turning my waiting over to you. I'm choosing today to wait and hope. And if you don't know Christ today, would you say yes to him? You come talk to me, talk to one of these folks on the sides. We would love to tell you what it means to know him as your Lord and Savior. But however that God is leading you this morning, would you be faithful just to respond? God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you do for us. But God, as we come to this first week of Advent and we think about hope, I pray maybe first and foremost that we would choose today to not buy into the world's definition of wishful thinking, but we would develop a biblical definition of hope in our lives where we are convinced that, we are, that we, we're going to live our lives with an expectation and a certainty that we know that you are at work in our lives, that you have a plan, you have a purpose, and you're going to carry it out. So while we wait for your return, while we wait for our marriage to be restored, while we wait for the prodigal to come home, while we wait for our finance to turn upside down, while we wait, Lord, we wait in the hope knowing that you're at work. And God, while we wait... I pray that we would commit to remaining faithful. To remaining faithful to you, to serve you, to live for you, to love you, and to not let doubt creep its way in. So God, would you just be with us today, Lord? However you're moving in our lives, however you've spoken to us, would, be, would we be faithful to respond? Maybe we need some people to pray over us. Maybe we just need to get alone with you at this altar. But God, however you're leading us, may we make a choice for hope this morning. We love you, Lord, and it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen to me this morning. Don't try to carry the burdens you're going through alone. We've got people that are over here on both sides that would love just to pray for you. Love to lift you up to the Lord and say, Lord, would you, would you intervene on their behalf? 
This altar is open where you can get alone with God and, and not miss an opportunity to turn over these things in your life and to commit to wait and hope. But however God is moving this morning, please don't be so prideful to go, I can figure this out. I can do this on my own. You can't. We need Christ. We need his help. We need his strength. And so this morning as we begin to worship again, I want you to think about how much God really loves you. He loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you where you're at, but he wants to give you what you need to remind you that he's in control, he's got your back, and he's at work on your behalf. He is for you, not against you. Do you believe that this morning? And if you believe that, would you be faithful to respond however he might be leading you as we sing?